I love the lyrics of that song. You can look it up, and I'll just read a few of them to you. Love incarnate, love divine, star and angels gave the sign. Bow to babe on bended knee, the savior of humanity. Unto us a child is born. He shall reign forevermore. Amen? He shall reign forevermore. This child that was born. And it's incredible to think about the, uh, the stir that this child causes. And uh, I talked this morning about, you know, we talk, we sing songs about uh, silent night, holy night, and peace on earth and all those things. But when Jesus came, do you know, how many of you know he actually created a huge stir? He created uh, a, a disturbance. The Bible actually says that, that uh, Herod, who was the king at that time, was greatly disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. How many of you know that when Jesus comes into our life, sometimes he stirs uh, a little bit of the pot in order to show us that we're really not in charge of our own lives in some ways. That he, he begins to show us, you know, you are really absolutely des- desperately in need of me and of my life within you. And so part of the Christmas story is who shall be the king. And uh, so our series we're going to talk about over the next several weeks is just that he shall reign. And uh, what is it calling us to that Jesus Christ has come? This babe that came that grew into this incredible man, it's really the birth of a child who would become the king of kings and the everlasting Lord. It's really the birth of a child who came as the savior of mankind. It's the birth of a child who was born to suffer and to die in order that others could come into relationship with God. It's really the birth of a child who was the very incarnation of God. He was God in the flesh. And all of those things have great significance for your life and for my life. And uh, as we come and see what the Lord has done, it's really the story of amazing love. And uh, I want you to get this today because Jesus' coming actually has much to say to you and to me and requires some things of us and demands our attention at the very least. It's a story of a God that has come close to people who are in need of deliverance, who are in need of hope. And really, uh, as we're going to talk about today, really this story, I want you to get something it actually isn't about you at first. It isn't about me at first. It's actually about this child. It's about this God that has come. But in his coming and who he is has much to say to you and to me. And so we're going to look at that today. And we're going to begin to understand that a little bit more. I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you that's going to kind of set us up from today's, for today's message. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her promised husband, being a just and righteous man, was not wanting to expose her publicly to shame, planned to send her away and divorce her quietly, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, descendant of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. The Lord is salvation, and he will save his people from their sins." 
All this happened in order to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which when translated means God with us. We see in this passage that this character, the main character of the story is given two names in this passage. And the first name is he shall be called Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation or I am salvation. He's given a second name, which is Emmanuel, which is God with us. And I want you to get this means a couple specific things to you and I. Number one, Jesus specifies what God does. He brings salvation. And Emmanuel specifies who God is. He is God, and he is God with us. Let's pray and see what these two things mean to your life and to my life today. Father God, we thank you for the main character of the Christmas story, your amazing son, Jesus Emmanuel. The Savior has come to be with us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you capture minds and imaginations today. I pray that hearts will be open to hear and receive from you today. And I pray, Lord, that we will realize that you are as close as the mention of your name. You are present with us even here and now. So Holy Spirit, help us. And we receive your counsel and your wisdom by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what does Jesus come to do? He says uh, his very name means, it, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's the word Jesus, obviously, but it, it actually means that very thing. I am salvation. The very first two letters, J-E, are short, short for Jehovah, which is God's unique name. And God's unique name back in the Old Testament was I am that I am, as he was introducing himself. And so Jesus, this, this unique name of, of the Savior that has come actually means I am your Savior. Because the word sus is the word for salvation. And salvation is a very pregnant, powerful word. It doesn't just mean, uh, you know, to save or to deliver us. It actually, it, it actually has far more meaning than that. It means to protect, to heal, to preserve, to do well by, to make people whole. So really understand this, church. Jesus has come to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, and to do well by, and to make people whole. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. This is who this Jesus is. And he comes to bring salvation to mankind, to you and to I, to make us whole, to do well by us, and to deliver us. And you're saying, what am I being saved from? Now, at the time when Jesus came on the scene, you need to understand that the, the Jewish people who were the followers of God, and that they were, they were looking for a salvation from their earthly bondage because they were under uh, kind of the tyrannical, oppressive rule of the Roman government. And so for them, they thought when the Savior comes, the King's going to come, he's going to deliver us from this oppression and set us free and establish his kingdom in this world, and we're going to overthrow the governments of this world, and we're going to establish a true righteous government. And they were very excited from their deliverance that they thought was coming. But here's the thing. The salvation and the deliverance that the Bible talks about is actually far more internal. 
it talks about a deliverance from a thing called sin, which is really all throughout the Old Testament. This was what God had said all along, but the people misunderstood it, what was coming and what the deliverer meant and the establishment of his kingdom. He wanted to establish this kingdom in the hearts and lives of people. So this is what Psalm 130 tells us. This is an example of what's throughout the entire Bible about God's deliverance. It says, O Israel, keep hoping, keep trusting, and keep waiting on the Lord, for he is tender-hearted, kind, and forgiving. He has a thousand ways to set you free. He himself will redeem you. He will ransom you from the cruel slavery of your sin. You see, what's going on inside of us, church, is far more important than what's going around around us. You see, sin is that human condition that each one of us faces, that we all go through, that God wants to come. You know, it, 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 and we all understand this. We've talked about this lots. You know, sin, it, it's not so much the acts of sin, but it's this nature within us, and I want you to get what it does. It, first of all, it separates us from God. It kind of twists and contorts us. We're, you know, every single one of you is created in the image of God, but this thing called sin comes in and, and displaces that image and contorts that image and changes that image. That's why we have conflicts in this world and life. Because sin is twisting things outside of what God always intended. We were intended to be connected to our true selves, created in the image of God. But it also, you know, that twisting, that contorting, that sin issue, of course, we know it disconnects us from others as well. It creates all kinds of problems and pain in this world. It creates all kinds of conflict in this world. And we get that. We understand that. If you're married, if you, if you are ever around people, you get, you know, everybody has a problem. And you have a problem, just so in case you were wondering. You have a problem as well. And this problem thing is called sin. And ultimately, we know sin disconnects us from God. You know, it keeps us from really understanding. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve back in, in, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, when they sinned, they hid from God and they hid from one another. So that's kind of the results of sin. So the Savior has come to solve this problem of sin. And we understand that if the issue of sin really was solved in the hearts and minds of people and the lives of people, how many of you know most of the problems in our world, most of the problems in your workplace, most of the problems in your marriage, most of the problems in your mirror would be solved? That's the truth. But we know that, you know, Jesus has come to set us free. And salvation is not just limited, limited to the internal strife and battle that we're going through and the consequences of sin, but ultimately the deliverance that Jesus is offering, the salvation is, that he's offering, will also deliver us from the consequences of sin one day. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift that God has given us is salvation in Christ. And, and we understand that, that, you know, we don't maybe get it fully, but, but death is not just talking about physical death, though that is part of it. It's talking about that disconnection kind of death. It's talking about the fact that, you know, I, at times, I'm disconnected even from myself. There's a, there's a disconnection from me. And, I, you know, people, you know, we, we're, we struggle so much with anxiety at times and with fear at times because we don't know how sin has affected us. And, and this is what Jesus has come to deliver us from. You know, there's an emotional death in ourselves, as we've kind of talked about, this spiritual death, this disconnection from God, this social death, which is disconnection from our, our others around us and even our environment. 
there's all kinds of things that happen because of this thing called death and ultimately even physical death. But I want you to understand that the Savior has come even to deliver us from those things. That ultimately, the ultimate outcome of the Savior coming into this world is that death will be swallowed up in triumphant victory. The Bible is true, and I've, this is a funeral scripture that I use many times. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? For Jesus Christ has come to deliver us even from that ultimate outcome of the results of sin and resurrect us into new life in his presence, which is good. We see the deliverance at times in our world even where Jesus comes and delivers us even from the results of sin in this world. You know, I, I don't understand or pretend to understand the mysteries of healing, but I tell you, I have seen healing. I've seen significant healings. I've seen stage four cancer healed. And then I've seen stage four cancer take people into eternity. So I don't understand those mysteries, but I know that the salvation that God has brings life. And life abundant, not only here, but ultimately in eternity. Amen? Amen, church? Here we are. Jesus warns us in John chapter 16. He says, I told you these things so that in you may, you may have peace. No matter what you go through in this life, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome. I've overcome the world. And you're saying, great, Jesus. That's great. You've overcome the world. You're, you're, that's awesome. And you're the Savior. Wonderful. But I got real issues. And the fact that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're okay, thank you. But, I, you know, I, I'm dealing with stuff in my life right now. I'm dealing with stuff in my family. Where is your salvation, oh God? And you need to understand, you know, the second name in this story actually changes everything. Because not only is he the Savior, not only doesn't he come to heal, deliver, protect, be with you, to make you whole, to do well by you, to do all the incredible things that God has intended for humanity. His name is also Emmanuel. See, this story is very powerful because it tells us these two incredible names that the Savior is going to come and you shall call him Jesus, but you shall also call him Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. The Bible in this story goes to great lengths to share with us. This is the very first gospel, the New Testament, the very first part of the story. It starts off with the genealogy of Jesus through, through his father, Joseph. But you say, well, really, God is his father. This is an incredible thought. But I want you to get something. It's proving that Joseph was the lineage coming from David, which was the promise of the Bible that salvation would come through David's line. But if you go into the Gospel of Luke, you see that Mary also comes from David's line. And so God perfects this, and he says, listen, you guys, in every way, God is making sure that you understand that the Savior that came to you was human. He has a human lineage. He has a human understanding. Why is that important? Why do you need to understand that? Well, here's what Hebrews 4 says. So then you must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who rose into the heavenly realms for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he conquered sin. 
He was a man. He came and he, and, he, and he had the limitations of humanity. He got hungry. He got tired. Mary had to change his diaper. You need to understand he was human. Are you getting me? He was human. The Bible goes through these incredible lengths to say this, this person is like no other person you've ever met because he comes and he is the perfect human being. He is a perfect human being who was without sin. The Bible calls him the second Adam. That he came and he, he never gave in to sin in his life. He lived a perfectly holy, moral, pure life. But then he was also God. You say, well, that's how he lived that life. No, no, no. He lived as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. He never pulled on that divine thread. But I want you to understand that that power was always within him. Why is that important? Well, we'll get there in just a second. Hang in there. So here he is. He's also, he's not only the Savior, but he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. Which makes, this makes sense now because God is imminently close to you in your struggles. He is imminently close to you in whatever you're going through in life. And this is what you and I need to understand when we get together with God. His salvation, his deliverance, his making us whole is not a work from the outside in. It's a work from the inside out. Let me pause on that. Religion is a work from the outside in. Religion says if you're good enough, if you try hard enough, if you work harder, if you do this, then you will be saved. That's not what God says. God says you are helplessly, hopelessly broken and lost and desperate. Therefore, I am sending my son to come, to become a man, to live as a man. And then what you need to do is invite him into your life. And when he comes in as the perfect man, he will bring with him the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of my divinity to begin to change your life. This is the story of Christmas, church. This is why you hear terms, you know, like born again and you are a new creation. This is what this is talking about. You know, you, you cannot save yourself in and of your own strength. You cannot do it. What happens when you try to crucify yourself? You end up with a worse form of self, with holes. And it's not holy, it's holy. You know what I'm saying? You can't do it. And so God has done what he has done in order to bring salvation to bear upon mankind. But he comes and he says, listen, if you will invite me to come into your life, I will come and dwell in you and I will bring the power to save you into your life. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. See, he enters, he enters the disordered mess of your life and the disordered mess of my life. And we know this. He is right at home. He is a king who is not born in palaces, but he's a king who is born in a barn. And in the barn are issues. <laughs> this is not a clean barn. This is a barn with issues. This is a barn with animals. 
This is a barn. This is your life. This is my life. And so we need to understand that when we, he comes into our life, he doesn't change everything at once. It's a process. And it's a life with him. It's actually a lifetime with him. And he begins to set things in order that were in chaos and disorder and broken in your life and in my life, which is beautiful. He saves, he delivers, he preserves. He does, does well by us. He makes us whole by the power of the Holy Spirit. We become united to him. Now, I want you to get a couple things. Jesus' process of living as a human being is a picture for you and I as to how to live with God. And so if we understand his process, then we understand the things that are necessary for our lives to be transformed. So let's just look at a couple process issues that Jesus dealt with. Here's the first one. Jesus had perfect fellowship with his father. So what's he inviting us into in that process? Fellowship. He's inviting us into understand that you need to have a relationship with God. Now listen to me carefully, church. He's not saying you need to be religious. <laughs> He's saying you need to have a relationship. And so if you look at Jesus' life, he would often just get away to get alone to be with his father. And so this is why we do things like devotions. This is why we come to church on Sunday. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we pray. In order that God might give us something because we've earned it now? No, that's religion. It's just to position yourself to say, God, I need a relationship with you. Because like Jesus, I can do nothing unless I see you doing it. I can say nothing unless I hear you saying it, Lord God. I need a relationship with you, and you've invited me in. So I invite you in, Lord. That's a good prayer, by the way, in the morning, what I just did. Record that one and play it back. Oh, God, I'm desperate for you. And God is saying, welcome, my son. I love you. I am desperate for you as well. That changes my attitude about reading the Bible, about spending time with God. You know, one of the things that I've been delivered of is the incessant need to have this religious idea that I need to read the entire Bible three times a year. Twice is good enough, amen. <laughs> Doug's not quite as delivered as I have been delivered. But uh, <laughs> I remember meeting a guy one time, and I've told you this story before, and I said, what's the Lord saying to you in your life right now? And he says, well, I've really been meditating on Psalm 23. I said, great, you know, like, how long have you been there? Two years. I'm like, it's eight verses, dude. Like, it's, <laughs> you can write it out if you really, you know, time to move on. But what he was saying was my whole goal of in interacting with the word of God is simply one thing. It's to be in fellowship with God. To be in fellowship with God. 
And so this is what Jesus did. This is the pattern that he put forward. He said, I'm in perfect fellowship, so you need to grow in your fellowship with God. That's the invitation. It's pretty simple. Here's the second thing. Oh, Jesus obeyed his Father's will perfectly, and here it is. He invites us to begin to order our lives through obedient, loving submission to God. He doesn't say you're going to get it perfect at first, but he says, guys, if you'll order your life. Betty and I were reading Proverbs today because it's the 8th. We read the 8th chapter of Proverbs. On the 8th, you read whatever day it is. And, you know, this proverb was talking about the wisdom of God. And if you'll just bring in the wisdom of God, if you just allow me in, I will set your life in order. I will do all these incredible things. And this is what we need to do, church, is just positioning ourselves to receive grace in order to live with God in this life. Because it's beautiful. And here's the third thing Jesus did. Jesus always displayed a strong love for other humans. Didn't he? It's incredible. You know, Jesus lived in community. He never did anything outside of community. You study the Gospels and you'll find out something shocking. He actually spent more time eating with people than he did at church. So you should take somebody for dinner today is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> because fellowship is part of the body of Christ. And, and Jesus was laying out a pattern for us and saying, guys, you don't do life alone. You don't do life alone. You know, I know this. It's amazing to me that when people go through struggles, when people are having trouble, you know, the first thing they drop is church. I'm like, no. You must do life together. All of us are going to go through times of struggles and brokenness and desperate need of the community of the body of Christ. And by the way, when you're hanging out with those people, guess what? They're not perfect yet. They're perfected in Christ, but they're still being made holy. And they still have some brokenness. And they still have some sharp edges. And they're still going to rub you the wrong way. You know, the Bible, when it says, they will know that you are my followers by your love for one another, it wasn't like this like, like picture of like nirvana. Like, oh, oh, so love. I love you so much. You're so perfect. No, it's like you guys are going to rub each other the wrong way. You're going to have chips of you flying in every direction. There's pieces of you getting blown apart, but you're still together because you understand intrinsically why that person was sharp with you, why they're j jarring you. And by the way, you will jar others and you will be sharp with them at times too. This is part of the community of the king. Jesus never gave up on us, even though at times we're totally ridiculous. <laughs> so here we are, the pattern of Jesus' life. He has his fellowship with the Father. He obeys his Father. He submits his life to God and the word of God. He, he has a strong love for human beings, even though they're just ridiculous. He hangs out with them. And then he demonstrates his love by freely giving up his life, which is the invitation to you and I to sacrifice and lay down our lives for the kingdom of God and for one another. We talk about it in terms of a thing called servanthood. Jesus is the ultimate servant, and his life is a display of servanthood. Amen? 
That because I know I'm loved by God, check out Jesus, he's so amazing. I am loved by my Father, therefore I love myself for who he's created me to be and who I'm being recreated to be, and therefore I love other humans even though they're crazy at times. I love them because God has loved me and God has accepted me, therefore I can love and accept you and I can help you to grow in your life and the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to serve you even when you're crazy. Yeah, you can clap Jesus that one on. <laughs> so this is the, the life we're called to, church. You know what I love about our church? Um, there's lots of things, but I'll tell you this one in particular, which is going to sound strange, is that we've all been here for a long time. So you can't hide your junk from me anymore. I know it. And if you are hiding it, I know it's there. It's just hiding you know, you can only perfume death for so long. <laughs> I just tell you all my junk. That's why you know my junk. I just confess it all the time. My wife never knows what I'm going to say, and she's like, oh, my Lord, what is he going to say today? <laughs> it's why we deal with all our stuff before I come to church, or else I will confess my sin right on the stage, and she'll have to forgive me before I keep going preaching. I am very bad that way. <laughs> discipleship means living a fully human life in this world in union with Jesus Christ and growing in conformity to his image through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's laid out a pattern for us, church. Amen? Fellowship with God. Learn to submit your life and rule your life by the power of the word and the spirit. Love people even though they're crazy and lay down your life for those people and for God. This is who God is. You know, even the end of the Gospel of Matthew, I want you to understand that in the midst of all this, God never leaves us and never forsakes us. Isn't that what he said in the end? He said, as he's flying away, I mean, this has been cool, like he's on the mountain and he's like, okay, guys, see you later. And he starts to like take off jets. I don't know what it was like. He's just... It's cool. That's all you need to know. It's cool. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I'll be back. <laughs> right? That's what he does. It's who he is. He's never going to leave you. He's Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel. He's God with you. And when that God comes into you, he comes in as Savior. Deliverer the one who will make you whole. Hallelujah. I love the Bible because this is the thread throughout the entire word of God, church. Right? Listen to just this one text from Isaiah. It says, I will walk among you, and this is not on your screen, and I will be your God and you will be my people. That's found in Leviticus 26, 12. No one ever reads Leviticus, but if you got through that whole book, you get to that one piece of gold in it. It's like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to help you live this life out. I'm going to get through this with you. And this is who we have in our lives, church. It is Jesus. It is Emmanuel. This is what God does. Let me tell you just a couple quick stories, and maybe I'll only get through one, but I'll start with him. His name is Casey Diaz. And uh, I don't know if there's a picture of Casey. Uh, we do. There he is. So he's an author of a book called Shot Caller. And uh, the book basically is... Uh, 
It's called uh, A Latino Gangbanger Miraculously Escapes the Life of Violence to Find a New Life in Christ. So I won't go through the whole details of the story, but you can look that story up online. He was a member of a gang, and he was the shot caller in the gang. And the shot caller has a terrible job description, in our opinion, but in the gang, it's actually a very elevated position. He determines who lives and dies. He determines what level of punishment is doled out to people who violate the gang's code of ethics. So this is a pretty elevated person. He gets thrown in jail for uh, second-degree murder and several robbery issues. And when he gets in prison, of course, he still remains the shock caller, which means he's kind of the prison running the prison. And, uh, you know, very violent, very bad guy. So basically they take him and they transfer him to uh, a maximum security prison and put him in solitary confinement. So basically when he shows up, they basically tell him, yeah, you're done being mixed in the population because you're too, you're controlling too many people, you're doing, you're creating too much damage, you are now going to live in solitary confinement for the rest of your sentence. So in that solitary confinement, he's visited by church people. They can't get through to him, but they stand outside his door and they just say, it's kind of interesting, uh, this lady is saying to him, um, they call him Casey, that was his, kind of his nickname, God has a plan for your life and he's going to use you. He's, he's, in, he's in solitary confinement, this lady standing on the other side of the door telling him this, and every week she comes and visits, and that's all she says to him. God, God has a plan for your life, and he's going to use you. So he's in his prison, and he's in his cell, and he says, you have a lot of time to just dream and think, because either you go crazy or you think. He said, so I'm sitting there daydreaming, and I look over at the wall, and suddenly there's a picture. And I see this guy with long hair carrying a cross, and he said, it's just like a perfect movie being played out for me in my prison cell. And the, the, the voice, the, uh, the person speaks to him and says, Darwin, I'm doing this for you. I shuddered. Apart from the guards and my family, no one knew my real name. Everyone called me Casey, my nickname for as long as I could remember. And he watches the scene of this person being crucified and watches the air exit his lungs and that he dies and he realizes this person has died for him. And he falls on the knees, on his knees in the cell and confesses his sin and doesn't even understand what he's doing. He just starts confessing everything he's ever done. I, I killed these people. I, mur- I did this. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And, and he has such a transformation. He calls for the chaplain the next day and the chaplain gives him a Bible, which he starts reading incessantly. He can't understand half of it, but he just knows all of a sudden Emmanuel has come to him. Long story short, he gets out of prison and he starts a business, a sign-making uh, sign business, writes this book, and actually is a part-time preacher now, sharing the story of God coming down and changing his life. Emmanuel is still alive today, church. He's still changing lives today. The Savior is still working today. You say, well, that's kind of a dramatic story. Let me tell you another story, and this is the story of a lady. She's an MIT professor. Her name is Rosalind Picard. And Rosalind is an MIT professor, a brilliant woman. Long story short, she starts off, and she's in high school, scoring you know, excellent marks, obviously. She's an MIT professor. She's pretty brilliant. And she has come to this conclusion that you know, only uh, illiterate, uneducated people are religious, therefore she's an atheist. So she comes to this conclusion in her own thinking, but she starts babysitting to earn extra money for college, and she's babysitting for this doctor couple, and she, there's just something different about them. And so they, you know, 
she babysits and they invite her to church. And she's like, you go to church? You're doctors. How can you go to church? And that she wouldn't go to church. She said, I kept faking sickness to do two doctors so that I wouldn't have to go to church. And then, so they said, well, listen, forget about going to church. Just read your Bible. And they said, read the book of Proverbs. And as she started reading Proverbs, she couldn't believe the wisdom. She's like, this isn't what I thought it was. She always said, I, you know, I heard the word Jesus and I always attach it to the word freak. So I never wanted to be part of that. But then she went to university and guess what happened? She came in contact in her course of studies with another Christian. And he was a star athlete and the captain of the football team as well as being a believer. And it was even more brilliant than her. And so he says, you need to come to my church. So finally she says, I better go check out this church thing. She does and she's convicted by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit thinking the whole time, this is ridiculous. I'll just get past this and then I can get this religious phase behind me and move on with my life. But then she does something which is very interesting. She takes Pascal's wager. Now, if you don't know what Pascal's wager is, Pascal basically was this brilliant theologian and scientist who said, I'm going to create this hypothesis back in the 17 or 1800s that it, you need to, and he called it Pascal's wager. And what he said was, if God doesn't exist, then it doesn't matter how you live. But if God does exist, you should wager on the fact and live your life in such a way that honors God. And, uh, and it says, God, if you're real, I'm going to live my life to honor you in case it is true. What do you got to lose, basically? So he goes from this kind of a philosophy you know, philosophical way of, of calling people to submit their lives to God. So she does. She takes Pascal's wager. She says, okay, Jesus, if you're real, come in and be the Lord of my life. <laughs> Guess what happened? He did. And she's like, it was like I was watching a flat screen black and white television and suddenly I was seeing everything in color in four, three, four dimensions. And she said, I, it was just like something turned on. She said, I was doing fine in my life, but then I realized how unfine I was when God came in. And then she, she kind of concludes, and I just want to read her actual words. She said, have you ever been, uh, uh, sorry, I, I, I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today I walk humbly, having received the most undeserved grace. I walk with joy alongside the most amazing companion anyone could ask for, filled with his desire to keep learning and keep exploring. She leads her class with these revelations of what good can I do with the gifts that God has given me in my work that creates good for mankind. She's a doing an amazing job. So here you are, church. Jesus came close to those who are far away. He came as the Savior. But he doesn't just say, I'm here to save you. He actually comes with the power to save you. He comes with the power to set things right. You may feel far away from God, church, but he is close to you. He's as close as the mention of his name. And that's what you need to know. We're going to close in prayer here today. I want to challenge you. If you're feeling discouraged here today, just understand God is close to you. He's as close as the mention of his name. He's speaking courage and love. He's coming into your life. Maybe you're feeling fearful today, but God is close to you. 
you are not alone. The Savior is here. Emmanuel is here. You may even be hiding in shame and running from God. But the Bible says that he will make, even if you make your bed in the depths of hell, he will be there with you. Amen? If God can save a shot color and transform his life, if God can save an arrogant MIT professor and save her life, he can save your life. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, Emmanuel, reign in our lives, Lord. Help us to submit our lives to you, Lord Jesus, to serve you, to walk with you, to be in relationship with you. And I don't know where you are today, church. I don't know what you're going through, but you know what? If you just need to say, God, I need you to come close to me. I need to know that you're close. I know you're there, but I need to feel that or experience that closeness. If that's you here today, church, I just want you to raise your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. Yes, lots of hands going up. I need to know God's closeness right now. I need to know you're for me and not against me, Lord, that I can trust you. Hallelujah. You know, I want you to just take a moment. Go ahead and play your keys if we can turn on. Let's see if we got power. We're going to get that on for you. I want you just to take a moment to set yourself before the Lord and think about the fact that you have Jesus, Emmanuel, living in you. And if you've not invited Jesus, Emmanuel, to come into your life, The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Invite him in. You say, well, I got to fix things first. No, you don't have to fix a thing. As a matter of fact, the more you try to fix it, the more broken it'll be. Just invite him in. He comes just as as you are. He comes into your life. But you need to invite him in. He will not force himself in. But if you will say, Jesus, I give you my life and I open my life to you, come in. I want to give you that chance to do that right now. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to invite Jesus into my life. If that is you, raise it up high. Wave at me. Yes, yes, yes. Are there others that would join these? If you've ever invited Jesus into your life or you just raised your hand for the first time, or maybe you're reinviting him, I don't know. But we're going to pray this prayer together, all of us out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus Emmanuel to be my Savior and to do life with me. I surrender my life to you. Come in and do life together with me. I thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's give these people a hand clap and the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Church, next Sunday is going to be a fun event. We're going to be joined by our Bonacord site. So our site church in Bonacord is going to be joining us. We're going to have a celebration, a party. And uh, you know what? Just come, come, come hungry for the word of God and come hungry for fellowship and come hungry for food. It's a great menu that's being laid out. It's going to be phenomenal. And Tyler is not cooking. Amen. 
God bless your week, church. Go in the grace and the peace of God, and we'll see you next Sunday or maybe before then. Amen. <laughs>